This is The Drive with Larry Hardesty. No yelling on the bus! Well, see, normally The Drive is on after the game, so that's why there's yelling and screaming on the bus, either celebration or agony. But since we're driving you to the game today, we'll allow a little bit of uh, yelling, just a little bit. Good morning. It's The Drive on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. 1-800-919-3776. Also reach me via Twitter at Hardesty ESPN at ESPNNY98 underscore 7FM. Along with JP and Big Daddy Ty, we're here until 2 o'clock. Then we'll get you ready for a big game for Zach Wilson and the New York Jets. Dan Grasser, Greg Buttle will get you ready with the countdown to kickoff. And then Marty Lyons and Barbara Schusen with the call right here on 98.7 ESPN. Uh, Chris Canty will join us at noon as we really lock in on our 1 o'clock games and get his thoughts and your thoughts as well on what's happening with the Jets and Giants today. But in the beginning, for right now, I want to give my baseball fans a moment. I want to give my Yankee fans just a little breather. I want to give them a couple of seconds to just talk a little bit about a game yesterday at Fenway Park. And in covering the Yankees, as I've had the pleasure to do over the past mm, couple of years, (laughs) there's a lot of conversation amongst fans about Yankee moments for players who aren't born Yankees. Right? Jason Giambi, what was his Yankee moment? Tino Martinez, what was his Yankee moment? Alex Rodriguez, what was his Yankee moment? And the list goes on and on and on. And there's been a lot, and we're still waiting to see what Joey Gallo's Yankee moment will be. We're still waiting to see what, you know, Rizzo's Yankee moment will be. And many thought, as far as Giancarlo Stanton was concerned, that he's been kind of a disappointment, right? He's been a guy who hasn't been able to be on the field a lot. He's been a guy who hasn't come up big in big moments. He's been a guy that, quite frankly, people lament about his contract more so than they lament about his ability to play or not play, or, and what he does in clutch moments. And yet there's been some chance where guys and fans have booed him unmercifully. And we can debate on whether that's the right way or the wrong way, but one thing we can't debate is that he kind of set himself up for it, right? Because he hadn't come up in big spots. And I think last year in the postseason was a consistent moment for Giancarlo Stanton where you could see that okay, this is the MVP that we thought we were getting 59 home runs, 130, 140-plus RBIs when he was with the Marlins. This is the guy. Okay, now we see, can we get this guy more often? But we probably won't because he's going to be injured and he's not going to play. Well, in this, what has been a disappointing season for Yankee fans because you you don't want to be in this position that you are right now, begging and holding on, clawing and trying to get a wild card spot to get to the postseason. That's not what you expected when the season started. You expected to win the division going away. But that didn't happen because of inconsistent play, not only from Stanton and from Judge, but from everybody else on this team. But yet, for this team to have had this type of play of late, for them to be in the conversation of a playoff push, it's been because of Judge and Stanton consistently. Yeah, you've had a, a couple, a sprinkle a little Torres, sprinkle some Brett Gardner, sprinkle some Sanchez with some big home runs. You, you've had sprinkling Gallo, Rizzo, Voigt. You sprinkled in some folks. But the consistent ones this season have been Judge and Stanton. And yesterday, 
yesterday in a big situation with the bases loaded and the Yankees down the run in a must-win game. You have to sweep the Red Sox. And after having an offensive explosion on Friday night and to be limited, I mean, I could just hear what the Yankee fans were saying. Here we go. This is what they do. They give you a bunch of runs one night, and then they can't solve anybody the next night. We're going to lose. That's what they do. That's how they are. We go through this all the time. That's the Yankees. Boy, here we go again. That's what they do. That's what they do all the time. And then for him to come up, first pitch, grand slam home run, that is, that's as big as it gets. That's as big as it gets in a big spot, in a big moment, in a must-win game. I, I don't, that is the definition of coming up big in the clutch. Now, yeah, you can have it in a, in a World Series or a playoff game. I get it. Yeah, I do. But for right now, in a must-win game for the Yankees, which was, and it, I mean, the Yankees are playing game sevens the rest of the season. Every game they got to win to make sure they have a chance because that's what they can control. They can't control what the Blue Jays do. They can't control what Seattle does. They can't control what Oakland does. They can't control what Tampa Bay does. They can't control anything else. The only thing they can control is what they do on the field when they play every day. And yesterday, at at Fenway Park, that Grand Slam home run was just, it was unbelievable. My wife and I had dinner with uh, some friends. And we were at their house following dinner, and uh, Gailey had the game on. And he's a big-time Yankee fan. And the expression on his face, the yell that he put out, When Stanton's home run left Fenway Park, and, and here's the thing. It wasn't a cheap home run, right? That ball still could be traveling somewhere. That's what Yankee fans expected from Giancarlo Stanton, right? That's what he can provide. And that's what he and Aaron Judge have done pretty consistently for most of the year. Yeah, have they always come up in big spots? No, they haven't. But yesterday, what we're talking about in an unbelievable game that the Yankees desperately needed, man, that's as good as it gets when you're a Yankee fan. That's as good as it gets. What are your thoughts? 1-800-919-3776. And it followed, okay, it followed a masterful performance by your ace. Now, was he shutout dominant? Garrett Cole? No. Was he 15-16 strikeout Garrett Cole? No. But what he was was six innings to Garrett Cole that allowed you to limit your bullpen. You didn't have to tax your bullpen. Okay? You were able to get, you just had seven, eight, nine for your bullpen, so that was good. Yesterday, along with Stanton, the next part of that story is just a tremendous jump from Luis Severino, who came in and gave you two innings against Boston. In a big spot. And that's what Michael Kay was talking about on Friday on the Michael Kay show. When he said, hey, okay, he had a great, he had did a nice job, but will they bring him in game on the line in Boston this weekend? Are they confident enough in his abilities to do that? Well, I tell you what, 
He looked pretty good. <laughs> I'll say that for him. He looked pretty good last night. He looked pretty good in his opening performance. And you're starting to see a little momentum with this Yankee team in a big spot. Yeah, if you're a Yankee fan, you have to feel pretty, pretty good. This is The Drive <laughs> with Larry Hardesty. No yelling on the bus! So that's how Aaron Boone felt. How do you think Giancarlo Stanton felt? Well, here's what he told the media after the win. Yeah, uh, great feeling. Um, a lot, a lot of emotions going on. Uh, it uh, just, just glad I, I was able to do it. Um, uh, com- compress everything and be on time for for the fastball, and uh, something good happened. Yeah, it did. <laughs> something really good happened, and it is, you know, that's what you miss. And I get to the calls in a second when you have when you don't have fans in the stands and there to just watch as an impartial observer, right? To just watch how the air just left that stadium after that home run. It, it's, it's the, the shift, the change of what all the, all the uh, cliches, right? Change of emotion, let air out of the building, all the different cliches applied with a big hit like that. And then the only question was, with the way the Yankee bullpen has been inconsistently, would they be able to hold the lead? Because then how many times have you had devastating losses like that, right? So, um, you know, that's the other part of it. But, you know, once again, uh, even though there was a home run given up, Araldis Chapman was able to get the job done. Let's go to the phones. 1-800-919-3776. Spike's in St. Pete. He's leading us off on the drive. Hey, Spike. <laughs> I got to gotta put a push pin and find out what time you're on, but I love talking to you. Let me tell you, I, I was just thinking of your partner in the crime at night, Gordon. Man. I, I just, you know, promo called Gordon for the, mm-hmm. for the betting thing. Mm-hmm. I, got, I told Ty, who's a diehard Yankee fan, and, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, it was if the, all the air was let out, as you, uh, you know, intelligently uh, said, but I made this point to Ty, and maybe you could uh, comment on it, Larry. Through all the, the, the nonsense, and since Stanton has been here, have you ever heard him complain one time about the way he's been treated? Never. Mm-mm. No. Never. And since he moved to the outfield, look, I took I took a little too. Look, they can win the rest of the seven or lose the rest somewhere in between. My guess is it'll fall somewhere in between, and they'll get a one or a two seed. But, man, when the bell rings, like when you're in school, you know, when you, and the substitute teacher walked in and you all felt good, and then the principal or vice principal came in and says, Mr. Hardesty will be a little late. He'll be in 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, you go up and down. Yeah, and I thought yeah. the lefty pitched to her flipping in. Now, um, the guy who started with the mustache, the lefty. Cortez? Oh, Cortez. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought he would pitch well. He's always pitched well all year. Mm-hmm. He's been the second best starter unequivocally. I'm yeah. just thrilled, man. I'm telling you, with everything going on in the football and stuff, in the, it just takes you into this this malaise. This this you just the team looks like if their defense holds up, Larry, they're going to win it. You're not going to see Boyd at first base. I guarantee you that. No, uh-uh. and uh, <laughs> it, it's wonderful. I mean, I know you're a Mets fan. I feel for you, man. Ugh. Not rubbing it in. You know me well enough. But mm-hmm. uh, the city needs this. The city really needs the Yankees and the Giants and the Jets to show some improvement. And it's great to catch you. And I'll talk to you during the week and enjoy every minute. I'd love to hear you felt when you were at your friends having dinner. How did you feel? Uh, envious, Spike. Thanks for the phone call. Envious. 
That's how I felt. There's no question about it. And I felt that way because while that was happening, the Mets were officially being eliminated (laughs) from the postseason. Like we thought they had a chance to make it at this late date. And here's just a couple of things, and we're going to talk football in a few minutes because I want to hear what the Giant fans have to feel on the day that Eli Manning is getting his number retired. I want to hear from you guys on your you know, your thoughts about Eli Manning, your favorite Eli Manning moment, what it's going to mean to you to see his number retired today at MetLife Stadium. But let me just share this about the Mets. Here's the reasons why they lost. The numbers don't lie. Sometimes they're misleading. Sometimes they have other issues, you know. But usually, they tell a story. Mets averaged 3.9 runs per game this year. They had a minus 35 run differential. Minus 35. They were 29 and 33 in one run games, including yesterday. Okay? And the team ERA was 3.90. Now, let's just hold on to just those numbers right there, all right? You're not going to win if you have a minus 35-run differential. And yet, there were times when the pitcher, the pitching was not great, but very often, this pitching wasn't bad. This pitching hung in there. The bullpen was inconsistent, but yeah, you know, you expected the bullpen to be inconsistent anyway. Aaron Luke was great this year. Javis Familiar had his ups and downs. Diaz had his ups and downs. Okay, but for the most part, the bullpen was okay. Not great, not solid, okay. It was okay. With a team ERA just under four, how many times when you look and hear conversations, be it Don LaGreca, be it Dan Grassa, be it myself, be it uh, Rick DiPietro in the morning, how many times have you heard... Met fans talk about and lament the fact that this team doesn't score runs. All right. Yesterday's a perfect example. They lost two to one. All right. So unless the starter pits the shutout, okay, they would have lost the game anyway. Unless you they got they scored one run. So unless you pitch the shutout, you weren't gonna win that game. And that has been the problem with this offense from day one. Even though they were at the top spot in the NL East for, what, 100, 150, 125, whatever it was, days? It was because the pitching was great? Yes. Did it affect them when they lost Jacob DeGrom? Absolutely. Any any team that loses their ace, there's an effect. And it trickles down. All right, it does. And yes, it was a different second half for Tyron Walker than it was the first half. But there were games that he only gave up two or three runs and still lost. All right? You know, and, and so this is the issue that you have. Mets were 25 and 41 since the All-Star break. And at the opportunity where they had to really try to have a last gasp, last ditch effort to see if they could do anything to see if they could claw, find a way, or ease their way into a postseason spot for the top of the division. Because, let's face it, Atlanta has come back to the pack. They were very hot at the trade deadline. They've come back. Phillies have been hot and cold all season. Okay? Phillies have been hot and cold. And right now, they're battling for the top spot in the NL East. 
And the Mets lost eight straight games. At a time when you still had uh, your hopes mathematically were slim, just holding on, just holding on, holding on. You lose eight straight. I mean, come on. You don't deserve to win. You're not even a 500 club. It's just so many things wrong with this team. And so, Spike, to answer your question, for me it was like no postseason again since 2016. I kind of resolved myself to that, but, you know, it's official. When they took the field last night, you knew that's the way it was. And then the ultimate, 25 and 41 since the All-Star break. That tells you all you need to know about the Mets. (laughs) That's it. Tells you all you need to know. 1-800-919-3776. All right, let's talk a little football. Want to get your thoughts on today's games? What are some of the games you're looking at? What are some of the games that intrigue you? Especially for the Giant fans, your guy Eli Manning is having his number retired today. There's been a number of you who I've spoken to over the years who have said Eli's okay, but... We would the defense won our Super Bowls. He was along for the ride, blah, 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 blah. On this day, when he's getting his number retired, just give me your thoughts about Eli Manning. Give me your favorite Eli Manning moment. Give me your thoughts about what he brought to the team. And you can also share how much you miss him. All that's next. It's the drive on 987 ESPN. This is the drive <laughs> with Larry Hardesty. No yelling on the bus. You know, a lot of us are talking about this game against Atlanta, and it is, without a doubt, a it's almost a must-win. It's almost a must-win when you look at the rest of this giant schedule. So how do you feel about that? This portion of the drive on 98.7 ESPN brought to you by Truly Hard Seltzer. Try Truly Hard Seltzer, 100 calories, 1 gram sugar, 5% alcohol, and 27 different flavors. Truly Hard Seltzer Beverage Company, please drink responsibly. I had the opportunity... I get to the calls in a minute. While covering the Jets, I was embedded with the Jets, as you guys know, for a number of years. And I used to always say I had the opportunity when the Jets were done to parachute in <laughs> and cover the Giants for the postseason and their runs to the Super Bowl. And the one thing that you respected and people who covered the Giants and followed the Giants every day understood and was around Eli Manning, just understood how important he was to that team, how much of a leader he was, a quiet leader he was to that franchise. But just in parachuting in and just watching the calm that he displayed, no matter whether it was a good game, a bad game, an inconsistent game, whatever it was, he was the guy that was always consistent. He was the guy that always knew what had to be done. He was the guy, there was never any concern in the huddle about him. There was never any concern what had to be done, what the task was. And he was just always in control and just listening to him speak, how he handled the media, talking to his teammates about him. The the level of respect that he had and commanded in that locker room was just amazing. And while we talk a little bit about, you know, we can talk about, well, he's Hall of Famer, not a Hall of Famer, all the other stuff. On this day, I'm not trying to get into that. But on this day, what I will say about him is, If there was a big-time play to be made, he put his receivers in a spot where they could make a play. And yet we talk about Manningham, we talk about all the other receivers, all the great receivers he had. 
but he always was able, they were able to make plays because he had a sixth sense as to where that ball needed to go. And so that was the appreciation I had in watching him and in covering him for the little bit of time I did to just, just, just have the respect of how he carried himself and what he meant to his team. And so it's, it's very nice to uh, see him get his uniform number retired today. And uh, it's well-deserved. I mean, the guy's got a couple of Super Bowls. Okay, he's performed well in the big spot. He really has. Really has. 1-800-919-3776. Buddha's in the Bronx. Hey, Buddha, you're next on 98.7. Hey, what's going on? This is a treat early hey, in the morning on Sunday. Good morning. How are you, sir? Listen, I'm doing uh, great. You were talking a lot and spoke about, um, I've got an Eli point, but I just want to say one thing about Stanton. You were talking a lot and talking about it. Not only has he been able to, um, you know, take the criticism, but a lot of players have come in. When the criticism happened, they never recovered from it. Uh, you got to give the man credit. And then Boone, even with a lot of his head-scratching moves, the IE, uh, the early um, call to the bullpen yesterday, mm-hmm. you got to say this about it. Uh, it's, um, this team has had a lot of chances to just totally back it in, and they haven't done that. So, you know, there's some merit in something that he's doing. You know, he, he's starting to grow on me a little bit, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. Um, with Eli, listen, I, I, I'm a, I've been a Jets fan forever. I've always been an AFC guy. I never really liked the Giants, but I respected them. But when Eli Manning came, the Giants became a different team. It was more passing. And, 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 you know, they were more entertaining to watch. And I say this much in terms of that Hall of Fame stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest, man. This man, you know, in the playoffs, when he started getting hit and he started doing that shoulder roll, you, you knew it was on. Remember he used that little jerk with his shoulders? Yeah. You knew it was on. He looked. He, you know, first of all, Green Bay, he took down both of their icons. How about right. that? Yeah. On That's their right. own field. Both yeah. of their icons. You know, you can make the case in terms of, like, the Hall of Fame. He is a Hall of Famer. I mean, you know, the Giants, for a couple of years, they they fell off, and it wasn't just because of him. So you can't hold that all against him. You know, Plaxico Burris, Mike Bloomberg, they had a little bit to do with whether, you know, Eli got that second Super Bowl back-to-back, which mm-hmm. I think would have made it uh, absolute first battle Hall of Famer. But I always liked the way he carried himself, like you said. Uh, I always liked the way he played in a big spot. The man was durable. I mean, let's be honest. He's been the best quarterback in New York, in the history of New York. He's been the best quarterback. We all love Joe Namath. He was flashy and all that, but... He had a lot of down years, man. He had a lot mm-hmm. of down years. You know, Eli Eli is the king of the New York quarterbacks. It is what it is. You make an interesting point, Buddha, and, and thanks for the phone call. He has, because of the Super Bowls, because of what he's brought to the table, because of, you know, recents, recents uh, right now, what we think about, he's he's been the most consistent quarterback and, and, the, and the, a guy who's got, you know, who's been successful. You know, yeah, I know that the Giants have not been great. Yeah, I know that they've had some down years. And yeah, I know that after the last Super Bowl, the Giants have struggled. You know, but that's that's not all on him. That's on what's been around him, what was put around him, what, what needed to be added to him. And these are just things that, you know, he couldn't control. And, you know, that's that's my whole thing 
is, and I'm, I try to be consistent as much as possible with how I view things. And for me, when I look at quarterbacks, it's about what they can control. And for what Eli Manning was able to control, he did a heck of a job. He did a heck of a job. He can't control the offensive line. He got rid of the football as quickly as he could under the situations he had when the offensive line was inconsistent. You know, when he had receivers, he got the ball to him as much as possible. He, you know, in, in the years with the struggling uh, offensive lines, his, he, yeah, he had some bad interceptions, but there could have been more. He was smart enough to throw the ball down in the ground, throw it out of, out of bounds. Just Things that you want your quarterbacks to do because you understand how important the football is. So, listen, Eli Manning's done a, you know, he's been a great quarterback. That's what you can say. And he's got the jury to prove it. And, yes, I know about the defense. And, yes, I understand with the, the NASCAR package. And, you know, I understand about, you know, my colleague now, Matthias Kiwanuka and, and Michael Strahan and that great, and that great you know, NASCAR package defense that they had in the secondary. I get that. And, and that is absolutely part of the deal. The defense on those Super Bowl teams were great. But you have to also have to score the football to win. And the defenses that he faced were not bad either. But he was still able to do what he needed to do and get the job done. <laughs> and that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Darren's in Newark. Hey, Darren, you're next on the drive. Hey, Larry, how you doing, brother? Great, Darren. What's up? What's up? Hey, listen, Larry, I'm a, a lifelong Jet fan. I'm 61. I've been a Jet fan since I was six years old. And um, I, I didn't have a problem with the Robert Sala hire, but I, I'm kind of disenchanted with him right now because the excuse that he gave us about Denzel Mims not being able to get on the field, I, I don't buy that. And I'm surprised anybody from the media buys it. I mean, he says that, that he needs to learn how to play special teams and, he needs to learn three or four other positions. And then this dude, Braxton Barrios, who fair catches every ball that he, he that comes to him when he's fielding punts. Every one of them. He never returns a punt. I mean, how long are we going to do this? We did it all last year, and we're doing it again this year. And why is that guy playing so much? You mean to tell me Braxton Barrios is better than Denzel Mims? Darren? I don't think, and thanks for the phone call, I don't think Braxton Barrios is better than Denzel Mims, but here's the bottom line. Denzel Mims is not doing what his coaches need him to do to get on the field. Braxton Barrios does play special teams, all right? You may not think he plays it well, but he does play special teams, and Mims is not doing that. And here's the situation. When a new head coach comes in, he has to toe the line, set the culture, set what is expected, okay? Personally, I disagree because I feel that you a guy has 4-3 speed. I can find a place for him to do something. Something. He should be able to do something. Are you telling me his routes are not crisp? Are you telling me a bunch of different things? All those things may be the reason. It might be a bunch of these things. But unfortunately, Darren, here's the bottom line. It's just like your boss. When you go to your job and your boss says, hey, listen, I need you to do X amount of other things. When you want that raise, here's what I need you to do. You want the raise? These are the things you have to do. If Denzel Mims wants to get on the field, he has to learn these things because ultimately, Darren, what it does is it makes him a better player. Versatility is the key to success in anything you do. So if he can get better and play these other positions, 
then that's going to make him more marketable to the Jets or anywhere else where he may need to go after this, along with his speed. So while I agree with you that I would like to see him on the field, I think he could be a difference maker if given the opportunity. He's got to prove it to them because, Darren, I'm not there at practice. I don't see what's going on there. And a lot of times, especially when new coaches come in and they inherit staff, they look to see, and inherit players, they look to see who exactly fits what scheme they're trying to do and how amenable they are to adding certain things to their plate. And once again, you add to the other thing with him has been availability. He was hurt last year, had a slow start, hurt this year in, in training camp, had a slow start, illness, food poisoning, stuff like that. So he's a little behind. I think he will with hard work because the other side of it is we keep hearing Salah say, hey, listen, I'm happy with his week of practice. He's getting better. I'm happy with his week of practice. So you see that Mims is putting forth the effort. I think it won't be long before he's on the field. This is The Drive with Larry Hardesty. No yelling on the bus! Right now, I'm happy to be joined by my colleague. Listen to him for years here with uh, DCR, DPHO Canty and Rothenberg. He's now part of Canty and Golick here on 98.7 ESPN and on the ESPN Network. He is Chris Canty. Hey, Chris. Hey, OG. How you doing today? I'm doing great, my friend. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Looking forward to my Giants kicking off against the Falcons. And Larry, I'm, they better win this game, man. Eli Manning, Jersey being retired. This is one that Big Blue has got to have. Chris, let's go. Let's start right there. And take me back to you coming to this team. I mean, watching Eli Manning, playing against Eli Manning for years, and then being on the same team with Eli Manning and winning a Super Bowl. Tell me about Eli Manning. Well, here's the thing. He's the reason why I came here, Larry, because I realized I had an opportunity to win a championship. When I was on the Cowboys in 2007, we were 13-3 and and ended up hosting the divisional round with the Giants rolling into town after they beat Tampa in the wild card. And just seeing the poise that Eli Manning played with in that game, knowing how we were getting after him, but seeing him make play after play after play and ultimately put his team in position to win, I realized that there was something that separates championship-level quarterbacks from good quarterbacks, and I wanted to be a part of a team that had one. And clearly the New York Giants checked that box in 2009 when I was a free agent, and that's why I decided to come here. And ultimately that paid off because we were able to win the championship in 2011. So um, if you had to boil it all down to one word for Eli Manning to to characterize him, I would say champion. Mm. And that would be correct. Twice. (laughs) Two-time champion. There you go. There you go. Chris, when you look at this Giants team, for me, uh, the defense is puzzling to me. I don't know why this defense, to me, is underachieving. What do you see when you look at them? Well, here's the thing, Larry. Last year, I felt like the defensive backfield was more tied together. Uh, Guys were making plays. Of course, it's led by James Bradbury. But you had your Bill Peppers. You had Logan Ryan. And those guys are veterans. And just from a communication standpoint, it looked like they were all on the same page. This year, it doesn't feel that way. And you saw that evident in the Washington game. They started out with uh, having Bradbury locked up on McLaurin and rolling coverage away. And you saw Terry McLaurin start cooking. And then all of a sudden, Patrick Graham decides to go with more zone concepts, a little bit of a softer look. And Taylor Heineke and that Redskins receiving – I mean, the Washington football team's receiving core was able to take advantage of stuff underneath. So just from a communication standpoint, being able to match patterns in zone – um, and then when you have to lock up in man coverage, being able to 
to make plays on the football. I just feel like the Giants' defensive backfield isn't doing that at the same level. And all of those, I guess, issues get compounded when you're not being able to get consistent pass rush up front. And so I think that's the, that's the problem that the Giants' defense is facing, and they're going to have to find a way, find a solution to that today because Matt Ryan and that Falcons offense, they're going to be dropping back to pass early and often. They've got to be able to have an answer how to pressure Matt Ryan and how to take away some of those uh, some of those security blankets that he's got within his skill position core. Now, Chris, with all due respect, Matt Ryan is still a, a fabulous quarterback, but he's not Matty Ice. Is this the game where you can maybe take some chances defensively, where you're not going to be as soft as you played, where you can maybe do a couple of blitzes? I know Graham is not really a blitzing guy. He would rather perform, rather prefer to get pressure with, with just four downmen, down linemen. Well, yeah, he, he, every defensive coordinator would love to just get pressure with four down linemen, but every defensive coordinator doesn't have that luxury where they can rely on guys winning their one-on-ones up front. And I think that's the position that the Giants are in. And it's, and it's frustrating as a former defensive lineman for the Giants because we had waves of defensive linemen that we could throw at opposing quarterbacks and affect the passer. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Patrick Graham has got to get creative he does have the benefit of Matt Ryan being a stationary target. You know where he's going to be, five yards behind the offensive center. So they, they can scheme up some different looks, some different pressures, some different patterns, uh, and attack that offensive line and try to try to get Matt Ryan off the spot. I think I think you got to dial up the aggressiveness a little bit just because you realize that your coverage isn't holding up on the back end the way that it did last year. So you've got to do something different. Uh, I think this is the game where they, they pick to be aggressive and they've got to trust that if they give up a big play, that their offense can respond and put up points as well. What do you see from the Giants' offense so far? Uh, well, I think it's a work in progress. Uh, however, I do do see Daniel Jones taking that next step as, as a quarterback. Hmm. And I know that everybody's been critical of him coming into this year, saying it's a make-or-break year for him. And I'm not going to dispel that or disagree with that, but I will say through the first couple of games, I've I've been I've been impressed with what I've seen from Daniel Jones. Now the turnover against the Broncos that was a killer. That that can't happen, and I think DJ understands that. But he bounced back within a short week uh, in Washington and played one of his best career games. And I've said this before in the past, and I'll say it again: Jason Garrett using Daniel Jones as a runner in this offense is an X factor. I mean, it just changes the complexion of a game for a defense. It's hard to game plan with the quarterback as a primary ball carrier. You just don't have enough numbers. You just don't. And Daniel Jones has shown that he has the athleticism and, and he has the ability to be, able to, to be able to make big plays in the running game as well. And I think that also opens up lanes for Saquon Barkley because the defense has to, has to account for the quarterback with some respect to uh, freezing on those zone reads. So I, I think that they've got to continue to do that, um, continue to feature Daniel Jones not only as, as a passer but as a runner in this offense. And I think good things will happen for the Giants today. A lot of changes on the Giants' offensive line because of injury questions going in with the offensive line coming in this season. With what you've seen from the offensive line put together right now and Daniel Jones able to run, will that, as you mentioned, open up some lanes? Will we see close to the Saquon Barkley we've been looking for today? Uh, that's hard to say, Larry. I mean, here's the thing. Saquon is continuing to, to bounce back from that knee injury, and it feels like he's He's getting more confident with the more touches that he that he gets. Um, but that being said, that offensive line is, is going to be is going to be tough to overcome some of the losses. I mean, losing Shane Lemieux for the season 
and then losing Nick Gates last week with the with the broken leg. Like those are two of your your key starters on the interior of that offensive line, and we know that the engine for the run game is that guard center guard trio in the middle. So, I mean, not having two of the three is going to be tough. Which is why I go back to you know from a scheme standpoint, from an X's and O's standpoint, J.C. Garrett doing some things to help those guys out. I think implementing the read option and Daniel Jones in the zone read as a runner, I think that's the way to go because that relieves pressure on everybody that's involved. That, that takes away some pressure off that offensive line. That takes a little pressure off of Saquon. Uh, and then ultimately I think you get the best version of Daniel Jones. You get an opportunity to get him within the flow of the game and build some confidence. And we've seen when that happens, I mean, good things overall happen for that Giants offense. So I think that's, that's the direction that Jason Garrett should go in. Um, as a defender, I can tell you, when you got a quarterback that's featured as a runner, uh, I mean, it, it just makes you more reactive rather than being proactive. And it's about time that our Giants offense starts dictating to opposing defenses rather than the other way around. Mm, great point. Super Bowl champion Chris Canty is my guest, part of uh, Canty and Golick on the ESPN Network. You're listening to The Drive on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. All right, Chris, uh, last week was a defender's dream against the rookie quarterback. Zach Wilson had four picks. Um, the question for me is, how does he bounce back? What do you see from this young man? Well, I, I, you see he's got a live arm, Larry. I, I mean, the throw that he made on the seven cut to Braxton Berrios early in the fourth quarter, that, that just shows you everything you need to know in terms of why Joe Douglas and Rob Sala fell in love with him in the pre-draft process. He's got the movement skills that you would want a quarterback in today's game to have. I just think that from a game planning standpoint, Mike LaFleur and Rob Sala have got to, got to make it a lot easier on their quarterback. I mean, they've, they've put a lot on his plate. They're asking them to digest and process a lot in real time. I think they got to dial it down, dial it down a notch, you know, you know, condense the playbook just a little bit, condense the, the looks that the, the, the reads that he has on the field a little bit too. I mean, when you have a quarterback that has his kind of wheels, you can get him outside of the pocket. You can move the large point. You can give him half-field reads. I think that's, that's the direction that they need to go in the passing game um, in order to help Zach Wilson a little bit. Another thing is renew your commitment to the running game. You know, get those running backs going. Michael Carter showed a lot of good things early. I mean, use Coleman. Use those guys in the backfield to kind of be that safety valve for him. Um, I, I think that's the – that's the thing that you have to do because right now when you watch Zach Wilson play, he's moving way too fast. And so as a head coach, as an offensive coordinator, they need to do everything that they can to try to slow the game down a little bit. I think sprinkling in those two elements, getting them outside of the pocket, marrying the outside zone with some boot game, I think that puts a little more pressure on the edges of opposing defenses, and that makes life a little bit easier for Zach Wilson, reducing some of the heavy lifting that's on his shoulders. Chris, we talked about the Giants' defense. I got to tell you, I'm surprised in the other way about the Jet defense after a couple of weeks, especially the secondary. Yeah, I mean the Jet the Jets defense has been a little bit of a surprise here in the early goings. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't think that they would have a, a, a defensive unit that's capable of being able to keep them in football games um, like we've seen in the early going. I just didn't think that that was possible, and, and so I think that. As this unit continues to play together, they've got a lot of young guys out there. I think they'll continue to show improvement. I mean, for for your quarterback to have a four-turnover day and ultimately have five turnovers because you got to count the turnover on downs as well, I mean, you're, you're talking about it being a 19-point game last week. I, I just it was, it was impressive that the defense didn't let that game get even more out of hand. So as they get more games under their belt, I think their confidence will continue to grow. Um, and that's a good sign for that for that young Jets defense, especially those guys on the back end. 
This is going to be a different type of challenge today against the Denver mm. Broncos, knowing you got Teddy two gloves on, on, on the uh, quarterback in the opposing offense and knowing some of the skill position players that they have, Tim Patrick, Courtland Sutton, K.J. Hamler, like this, Noah Fant. Like, this is going to be – this is going to be a challenge for them, but uh, based on what they've shown early on, I mean, this Jets defense is going to give them an opportunity to be in games. It's just a matter of the offense coming to the party. Last thing, Chris, I know it's early. It's just after a couple of weeks, but which of these young quarterbacks have you seen this year that you kind of say, huh, he, he might he might have something if he, if he continues to mature and they build the right things around him? Um, you know, I, I love – Love what we've seen from Mac Jones. Mm-hmm. And, Larry, I, I get it. Everybody points out the average depth of target. He's not pushing the ball downfield. But if you think about the identity of that Patriots team, it's on the defensive side of the ball. And then when you consider the opponents that they've had the first couple of weeks, playing against the Dolphins with Tua, playing against the Jets with Zach Wilson, all Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels are asking Mac Jones to go out there and do not lose them the game. And the kid has stepped up, and he's done that. Like the, the the week one loss to the Dolphins, that was because of Damian Harris fumbling the ball in the, in the in the low red zone with less than five minutes to go. I mean, if if he holds on to the football, you're talking about them kicking a field goal and winning that game. So, um, I've been impressed with the poise of Mac Jones. Um, you know, the, the kid makes good decisions with the football. He, he's got the arm talent to to make every throw. It's not an arm that's going to wow you. It's not Zach Wilson, but but he can get the football where he needs to get it to. But just his feel for the game, his overall command of the offense, that's the thing that impresses me the most. And, and you just see the confidence that this kid plays with. It's, it's really impressive just to say that he's two games into his professional career. I mean, it looks like he's been doing this for a while now. So uh, Mac Jones would be the guy that, that I would have to say surprised me. I didn't think he would have this kind of start to his pro career coming out of Alabama. Nobody breaks down film like my man Chris Canty. I'll tell you that right now. You can hear him Monday through Friday four, from 4 to 7 with uh, Mike Golick Jr. is Canty and Golick on ESPN Network. This is The Drive with Larry Hardesty. No yelling on the bus!